some folks here tonight. Yeah. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to look at uh, Saul here in just a few moments. He's going to kind of be our, uh, our model that we're going to look at as we talk about some things tonight. Uh, when we moved to Rio, established a church, and then began looking for a permanent location, long story short, we found it. And it was the piece of land that we believe that God had prepared for us large on a, on a main avenue there running through, uh, through the middle of town. And it was just perfect. And so we bought the land. And the church gave gener- generously, the Rio church gave over, over $100,000 to it. And then some American partners came in and just kind of a kingdom partnership. One thing about that piece of land that, uh, just a fact of where it is, it's just about a block and a half away from a mega church. Uh, Cristo Vivi Church, about 6,000 members there. And so there we were on a main street in this region. They were back on, on, their location actually wasn't as good as our location, but they had been there a long time. And we were the Igreja de Cristo, the Church of Christ. And they were the Igreja de Cristo Vivi, the Church of Christ Alive. So you could see there might be a little bit of confusion there. Those names are nearly identical. The locations are almost on top of each other. And the similarities, I think, though, ended there. Um, While we were interested in the business of taking the gospel to the city, it looked at least like, from their television programs and from everything I heard, that they were interested in fleecing people, getting as much money as they could from folks. But I digress. Basically, we were in the shadow of this behemoth. Uh, We were the shrimps, they were the sharks. Uh, They had this large uh, campus back behind us with these buildings and these big satellite dishes so they could uh, do their live television programs. Uh, Their pastor lived in a mansion, uh, did not drive a car, but rode with his chauffeur in a, uh, literally in a bulletproof Mercedes, um, traded in his first wife for the younger model who was the secretary there at the church, and they got married, and and then she became the bishop of the church. He was the bispo, and she was the bispa. He was the male bishop, and she was the female bishop of the church. And somehow, they got away with that. I don't know. Anyway, but we averaged at the height of our attendance, at least while Isla and I were there, we averaged close to 200 in attendance, and they averaged, you know, 6,000, give or take. And so on Sundays... I don't know if I'd say almost without fail, but it was not a rare occurrence that someone would show up at our church looking for their church, show up at our Igreja de Cristo looking for the Igreja de Cristo Vivi. And so generally, I was a good boy, and I gave directions to the mega church that was behind us. Sometimes I just said, you made it. Welcome. Glad to have you here. Um, but God did bless our little church plant in Rio. He really did. Uh, the Lord Jesus reached a lot of souls. We got to see really amazing things happen, as you do in any kind of mission work. And even here, uh, of course, we saw marriages restored. We saw lots of people coming to faith in Christ. We saw parents assuming their calling to raise their kids uh, in the Lord. And we felt very good about what God had done, zero to 200 in a, couple of, in a few years. Um, but you always looked back behind, and that measuring stick made you feel kind of small, 
standing in their shadow, constantly being reminded that you're small potatoes. Um, it's hard not to compare, right? Well, and there it is. There it is. Maybe the most surefire, instantaneous way to go from happiness to despair, uh, to feel worse about yourself, is to compare your situation with someone else's situation. It is the expressway to unhappiness, to jealousy, to bitterness, uh, maybe even anger. Just start looking around and start seeing how you measure up with what someone else has and uh, do some comparing there and be ready to start despairing. And thank you, Twitter. Thank you, Facebook. Thank you, Instagram. Never in history, I, I'm confident in saying this, never in history has it been so easy to compare yourself. I mean, back 200 years ago, you could compare yourself with the people on the farm over there or, you know, people in your village. Now you get to compare yourself with people all over the country and beyond, right? Uh, their updates, their new home, their kitchen remodel, their honor roll kids, their quarterback son, star of the football team, their romantic anniversary trip that the husband took the wife on. And yes, in our better moments, we rejoice in the good fortune of others, but then there are our not-so-good moments where we start comparing our situation to theirs, and it eats us up. Well, beware, I guess, would be the the theme of this message tonight. Comparing is a shortcut to misery. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. So in that passage, the not wise people are doing all this comparing. And the wise people, Paul and his group, are, we're not playing that game. We're not doing that. An author, blogger, Christine Organ, wrote a piece called The Game I Want to Quit. And I'm going to redact this considerably, what she wrote, but I really liked, the. if you can look that up and read that, the, the, the fuller version is, is really good. But she writes, The Comparison Game is one that I, know all, that I know all too well. I am an expert at it. Unfortunately, being good at the comparison game only reaps the prizes of insecurity and self-doubt. She writes, My husband and I both love our house. It's simple. It's modest. There are no sprawling master closets, no kitchen island, and all four of us share the same bathroom. Nonetheless, we have a cozy family room, spacious back deck, and neighbors we absolutely adore. Our home is everything that a home should be. It's comfortable, safe, and warm. Until, that is, I see a friend's new home on Facebook, peruse Pinterest, or get the latest Pottery Barn catalog in the mail. Then our kitchen seems too small. 
Our furniture seems shabby, and our safe haven of a home starts to feel inadequate and not quite right. And she writes, this comparison game, I have realized, is slowly killing my spirit, and it is a game that I no longer want to play. But, she writes, quitting is so hard. She says, I want to enjoy my home for the love and memories that happen there without worrying about whether it is big enough or clean enough or pretty enough. And then she talks about her body and her life, and she says, I want to live contentedly in this human body. I want to celebrate the vulnerabilities and uniqueness of me along with the vulnerabilities and uniqueness of everyone else. I want to appreciate the act of joyful activities for the simple fact that they are enjoyable and not for the way they measure up against someone else. She writes in conclusion, This is my eternal wish, my constant goal. Step by step and day by day, I am trying to quit this game. It is a struggle, but I'm trying. Well, the Bible, I think, invites us all to quit this game, this comparing game, to lay down that burden and just to start living. And yes, as Christine Organ wrote here, it is a struggle to quit because that's the game everybody seems to be playing. Um, and it's hard to quit the game everybody seems to be playing. Uh, truth is... It's just easier to keep on imagining, right, that someone else's life is perfect uh, and that mine doesn't measure up uh, than it is to realize that no one's life is perfect and everybody needs to work and I just need to work on making my life better. Thomas DeLong is a, a Harvard business professor and uh, he has been doing this a long time and he has been noticing this comparison game. He's been noticing this trend. I mean, they have, he only works with the best and the brightest young folks. Um, and he has been watching this tear at his students recently, differently than in the past. He writes, more so than ever before, business executives, Wall Street analysts, lawyers and doctors, and other professionals are obsessed with comparing their own achievements against those of others. Over the last five years, I have interviewed hundreds of HNAPs, that is, High Need for Achievement Professionals, HNAPs. I've been interviewing hundreds of HNAPs about this phenomenon and discovered that comparing has reached almost epidemic proportions. This is bad for individuals and bad, he says, for companies. When you define success based on external rather than internal criteria, you diminish your satisfaction and your contentment and your commitment. He writes, it is telling that in my 500 interviews of high need to achieve professionals over the past three years, more than 400 of them questioned their own success and brought up the name of at least one other peer who they felt had been more successful than they were. Many of these individuals are considered among the best and brightest, yet they are trapped by, and this is his phrase, 
they are trapped by their comparing reflex. Trapped by their comparing reflex. I love that phrase. In the Bible, Saul, we have this fellow who is very much trapped by his comparing reflex. May have been, I mean, this is a subjective statement, but may have been, at least from what we see in the Bible, looks like could have very well been, the most miserable person in all of the scriptures. Miserable human being, Saul. And what's weird about it is the metrics that you would look at, at least from a human point of view, all look, he scored really good on those. Money, check. Power, check. Fame, check. Songs were written about him. Ladies adored him. Good health, check. Good looking, check. Yes, he seemingly had it all. He was the king. He was the sovereign of the state. And as Samuel, 1 Samuel 9 verse 2 describes him, this is how the Bible describes him. He was, quote, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. So even this guy's appearance was like, Look at that guy. Saul was something else. Impressive, without equal, according to the Bible. And loaded. And powerful. And God had seen fit through the prophet Samuel to anoint him to be the king, the first king over Israel. Now eventually, you know the story. Telling you a story you know tonight. He befriended this young man, David. Uh, the shepherd boy, yes, the shepherd boy who defeated the giant named Goliath. 1 Samuel 16, 21 tells us David came to Saul and entered into his service. And the Bible says, quote, Saul liked him very much. So a budding friendship. How nice. And this is where, <laughs> this is where things, you know the story, this is where they begin to unravel, isn't it? Saul was trapped by the comparing reflex, or Christine Oregon phrase. He was trapped by the comparing game. Even though anybody back then would have said, I would love to trade places with Saul. That guy's living the dream. For him, it felt more like a nightmare. The comparison game Saul played in his mind had to do with David. And even though David's successes really were Saul's successes, because David was in his service, David worked for him, so David's successes were kind of actually like Saul's successes. Saul couldn't help, though, but feel threatened. First Samuel 18, and I'll read verses 5 to 12. Just one, there are a lot of snapshots, but here's one snapshot where you kind of get the picture of what's going on with this guy. Whatever Saul sent him to do, remember David works for Saul. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army, a boy. This pleased all the people 
and Saul's officers as well. Verse 6. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, You remember this little ditty? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul, verse 8, was very angry. And this refrain galled him. Didn't like the chorus to this song very much, Don. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me only with thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time, verse 9, from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house. While David was playing the harp, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So... In that little passage, there are four words, four kind of adjectives that the Bible uses to describe Saul. It uses the words angry, galled, ticked off, okay? Angry, galled, ticked off, um, jealous, and afraid. And absolutely nothing has gone wrong. All that's happened is success after success. All that's happened is his employee is doing excellent work. There are no defeats. There's nothing bad that's happening unless he starts comparing. And he does that. And so that scene ends with Saul hurling the spear at David, his faithful servant, openly hostile to his friend. And to his servants. And he and God, as we see with the, with the evil spirit coming in, Saul and the Lord are getting distant as well. They're not walking together anymore as well. And for the rest of Saul's life, you read the rest of the story of Saul's life, that's pretty much it. The details change, but that story just keeps repeating itself. Jealousy, rage, bitterness... Blessed Saul is with anything a person could possibly want, but deeply unhappy. As someone once said, comparison, have you heard this one? Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. I would attribute that to somebody, but I've seen that attributed to FDR. I've seen that attributed to Buddha. I've seen, I don't even know who, who said it. Because you look that up on the internet and you're going to find that quoted. But it's good. Somebody wise said that at some point. And Saul embodies that truth, doesn't he? Comparison is the thief of joy. Everything is going right for Saul. But he can't stand seeing everything go right for David. <laughs> and, uh, another Saul 
one very familiar to us, is the New Testament Saul. The Saul who was persecuting the church but ended up giving his life, really giving his life to the Lord to become his servant. That Saul found freedom, found grace, found joy, found forgiveness. Let's listen to what this Saul had to say, Saul turned Paul, had to say about this comparing game. Galatians 6, 4 and 5. And this is from the message, so it sounds a little bit different. Paul writes, Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your life. I love that. Pour yourself into what God has given you to do and quit worrying about what someone else is doing with what God has called them to do. So let's close out our time just working through what we learn from Saul's rather lousy example and the positive teaching we get from the Apostle Paul. I'm going to leave you just with four very simple things I think that can practically help if you feel increasingly trapped in this comparison game or if you find that comparing reflex at work in your life. Four very simple things. The first one, I think, is just to remind yourself that everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. Everybody does. Everyone's different. God loves variety. He really does. He made us different in so many ways. Um, and even, I mean, even our fingerprints are different, right? Our DNA is different. So consequently, I have strengths and I have weaknesses. Each of us does. Paul says the thing is, figure out who you are and what you are called to do and then get busy with that. Get busy doing that. And next, I've got to decide that I'm going to use my energy to focus on, goes along with that, I'm going to focus on what I have instead of what I think someone else has. Um, what assets has God poured into my life? What talents has God given me? What abilities, what opportunities, uh, what financial resources, what um, relationships... And trust me, I mean, he has poured into your life. He's poured into everybody's life. So don't be so preoccupied with what he's poured into someone else's life that you miss out on what he's poured into your life. Next, and this is maybe hard, but a very important exercise and a real breakthrough exercise. And it is to be very intentional about rejoicing with, celebrating with the opportunities and the successes of other people. Romans chapter 12, 15 and 16, again from the message. Paul writes, laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. 
Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great some, somebody. <laughs> I like that. Very healthy habit to begin. You may not even feel like doing that, which probably means you need to start doing that. Uh, like I said, it's an intentional. It's a, an act of the will. I'm going to start celebrating and rejoicing when good things happen in their world. Uh, and the change starts when I reject that bitterness uh, and I begin very intentionally celebrating when someone else has a reason to celebrate. Finally, I seek meaning in Christ, not in the approval or applause of others. We talked about this phrase this morning, this ace Christon, in Christ, repeated over 90 times in Christ, ace Christon, over 90 times in the New Testament, because in Him... And in his eyes, I'm whole, I'm righteous, I'm forgiven, I'm worthy, I'm loved, I'm accepted. In his eyes, I'm gifted, I'm graced. So in Christ, I enjoy all of that. And I can quit playing the game. Because that game only creates misery and leads to nothing good. Let's pray together. Father, it's very hard not to play the comparing game because that's the game that everyone seems to be playing these days. Cars and homes, <laughs> kids and spouses, someone else's vacation, someone else's promotion. Father, I pray that we may be a people of peace, a people of joy who've been set free because we're in Christ. Set free from that nasty, destructive game. Set free to bless. Set free to rejoice in the success of someone else. Set free to be your child in this world, knowing that we are loved and valued, knowing that you have great plans for us and that you have provided for us all that we need to achieve those plans for your glory. Father, I thank you for examples, like the positive example of Saul turned Paul, who left his old life behind and discovered true life in Christ. And I thank you, God, for the negative example of King Saul. May he serve as a warning to us the answer is not more stuff. The answer is not more victories, be they in battles or in business. That's not where we're going to find our worth. That's not where we're going to find our joy. We're going to find it in you. Set us free from the comparing reflex. We pray this in the name of our Savior, our Redeemer, Jesus. Amen. Let's be standing. Let's worship together.